Uh, it's good to see you this morning. If you're a visitor with us this morning, let me introduce myself. My name is Jason. I have the honor and privilege of being the lead pastor here at Solid Rock, serving among the body of elders, and uh, truly considered to be an honor uh, to, to be able to be standing in front of you this morning, opening God's word. We're going to be in Galatians 5 this morning as we wrap up uh, the, the book of Galatians this morning, so I'll give you a chance to turn there. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, um, feel free to grab one of the black hardback Bibles under your seat or one just in front of you. We have those spread out across the room for you to use. And uh, we'll be in Galatians 5 in just a moment. A couple things uh, up front. Uh, Tuesday is uh, November the 11th, also Veterans Day. And uh, just a little history about Veterans Day, if you don't know the history. Uh, the day actually was first uh, called Armistice Day uh, back at the end of World War I, even though the war wasn't officially over until 1919 and 1918. Uh, on November the 11th at 11 a.m., uh, began the ceasefire, the truce, which is what Armistice stands for. It wasn't until the end of World War II that the name got changed by the 83rd Congress to Veterans Day, a day where we stop and we recognize those who have willingly sacrificed their lives uh, for the sake of freedom. And so just want to take a moment to recognize our veterans in the service. If you're a veteran, would you stand up uh, right now? I know I didn't prepare you for this, so just letting you go ahead and stand up, please, veterans. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. I uh, appreciate, uh, appreciate you standing and letting us uh, point you out. Um, I can't help but think of, when I think of sacrifice on behalf of freedom, I can't help but think of about the one, Christ, who paid the ultimate sacrifice, laying his life on the altar for our freedom. And, uh, and so in our Galatians series, the last two sermons in the Galatians series, we've looked at the things we've been set free from because of the sacrifice of Christ. We've been set free from uh, sin and the curse of the law. And we've also been set free, as we heard last week, from small things, these small things that we make into gods in our lives, these small idols. We've been set free from those things. Today, we're gonna be looking at what it means to walk now in this new freedom we have in Christ. And so what I wanna do uh, before we get into Galatians 5 is I want to hit a few theological misconceptions when it comes to Christian freedom. And so uh, let me hit a few things that I think uh, we, uh, we, some ways that we misunderstand Christian freedom. One way is this, we, we believe that freedom means that we will never struggle again with sin. It's a misconception about our freedom in Christ. Here's another one, that freedom means never having a hard day. Do Christians, Bible-believing, freedom-having Christians have hard days? Absolutely we do. Another misconception is that freedom means never struggling with illness. Uh, one of the reasons for Billy's soft heart this morning is that his father-in-law, a godly, Christ-honoring, Christ-loving, Christ-fearing man, is laying in the hospital right now unconscious, and his body is failing him. It's a misconception that freedom in Christ somehow means that we're free from illness. Here's another one, that our freedom means that we will never have to face persecution. Uh, part of what Jeff is pointing out with these missionaries, these families serving internationally, is that many of them, on a daily basis, are facing uh, imminent persecution, very real persecution against themselves and their families. Another misconception about our freedom in Christ is, that, is this, that freedom means an end to personal suffering. Even within this room, there are Christians who are 
also suffering. Final misconception is this. Freedom means that I can live however I want with no pursuit or regard for personal holiness. These are just a few ways that we as a church culture misinterpret, misteach our freedom. And so we're going to look today at the teaching of Paul in Galatians 5 as he begins to wrap up this letter with what I believe to be really the pinnacle of all he wants to share in Galatians 5.1 about our freedom and what it truly means to walk in freedom. So Galatians 5.1 is where we'll start. This will set the, the tone and the theme for the rest of the letter. Paul says this, now that he talked about what we've been set free from, now for freedom, verse 1, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So before he moves on, just one quick reminder of what we're prone to do, even though we've been set free from sin and the curse of the law and from these small things that entangle our lives, we're prone to turn back to those things. And so Paul is now reminding us before he gets into this topic of freedom to stand firm in your freedom. Don't turn back. You're going to be tempted. Don't turn back once again to your former slavery. We're going to jump down to Galatians 5.13 now and continue this conversation this morning. Verse 13. Paul says this about our freedom. For you were called to freedom. Brothers, you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And that verse is going to outline uh, what's going to follow in the rest of our conversation today. But an important part about our freedom is to understand this. Our freedom didn't come to us because we were out there looking for it. We were called to freedom. What does that mean for us? It means that God initiated our freedom. Many of us were content, blindly content in our slavery, in our lack of freedom, thinking that this is all life has to offer. I'm fine with how things are. And it was Christ who came to us and called us out of that, saying to us, there's something better to be had. And so it's important for us to understand that it is God who's initiated this freedom. It wasn't God just responding to the request of people. Oh, you want to be free? I'll set you free. God came to us and said, listen, you're not free right now. I desire for you to be free. And once you've tasted it, you will desire to be free. And God has called us, beckoned us, invited us into freedom. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, right? To live however you want, to live according to your own desires, but through love serve one another. You're taking notes. In freedom, Christ calls me to stand against the things that used to enslave me. So Christ has invited us into freedom, and now that we've been set free, Christ says, stay put. Stand here. I know you're going to be tempted to lose focus and to go back to small things. Stand firm in this freedom you now have. And then he's going to go on to pick up the last phrase, but through love serve one another in verse 13. In verse 14, he says this to explain that. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word or one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now these verses and Paul's quote here is going to take us all the way back to Genesis 1, really, in understanding how, how God has created us to live in, in reference to who he is and in reference to how we treat one another. And so if we go back to creation, Genesis 1, we remember, we are reminded that God created us first and foremost in his fill-in-the-blank image. He created us to be image bearers. And so that's really going to set up a vertical, horizontal relationship. Every person on earth lives in some respect in relationship to God and relationship to fellow man. And so what God has created us to do is to first and foremost be an image bearer, which means that we walk in a relationship with God face to face. I mean, how else would we bear his image? But to stand in community and in unity and in harmony with the God of the universe that we might then in turn be image bearers in the world. That what we receive from God in our vertical relationship, we would bend out horizontally towards one another. So even in our created purpose, we were created in a vertical relationship with God and a horizontal relationship with our fellow man. Image bearers. To reflect his image, to be in a face-to-face relationship with the holy God of the universe, and to bend that image out, to bear it out to one another here on earth. We see evidence of this clearly in the fall Chapter 3 of Genesis, Adam and Eve have chosen to rebel against God's law and to, uh, to live according to their own wisdom. And so they disobey God. And the very next scene, God comes into the garden. Remember that face-to-face relationship? What happens now? Adam, where are you? You see what has been broken? That vertical relationship with God, that image-bearing relationship with God has been severed. Now Adam and Eve are hiding from God. But not only that, They're beginning to hide from one another, aren't they? They're beginning to cover themselves up and hide from one another. And God comes to Adam and calls him to account. And what does he say? Well, God, that woman you gave me, she's the one who did this. And what do we see there? Now the horizontal relationship is what? Broken and severed. And so God rolls into the curse for Adam and for Eve and for the serpent. Verse 16 of Genesis 3, he says this to the woman. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Can I share with you, that's indicative of the curse. That's not how marriage is supposed to work. You know how I know that? In the very next chapter, sin is described that same way. As a crouching lion waiting to devour you. Its desire will be for you. It's the same wording here. The very next chapter, two brothers, Cain and Abel. One murders the other one. Broken horizontal relationship, right? As a curse of the fall. And so God isn't saying to the woman, this is how it's supposed to be. He's not saying to the woman, this is what I created marriage to look like. Your desire will be for your husband like sin desires to kill you. And oh yeah, he's gonna rule over you in authority and in an abuse of power. God's not saying that's how it's supposed to be. He's saying now that's what it's gonna look like under the curse. Why? Because your vertical relationship is now broken. Your horizontal relationships are now broken broken as well. Well, it's interesting when you get to the law, um, most formally expressed in the Ten Commandments, though there's more law in the Bible than that. Um, In Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, we get a list of these Ten Commandments. If you read the Ten Commandments, you'll notice something about them. The first four are vertical. 
The second six are horizontal. Let me just run through the list. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. You shall take You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The first four are what? Vertical. God establishes a law that secures and establishes our vertical relationship with him. This is how you walk in relationship with me. Have no other gods before me. Make no idols. Don't carve anything at it with your hands and call it God, right? Don't use my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy, Set aside time for you and I to stay connected. Oh, by the way, there's a second part to the law. It's horizontal. You shall not covet. You shall honor your mother and father. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So what we're experiencing vertically with God in the first four, we're to bend that out as image bearers to our neighbors, to walk in harmony, to walk in unity, to walk free from Division and enmity and strife. Now, it's interesting when you get to Leviticus 19, we once again get a, an overview of the law. And God expresses something very unique in this particular account. I'm going to read a few verses from Leviticus 19, uh, starting in verse 1. You're going to hear some familiarity in what God is going over, but he's going to explain at the end this horizontal component. So starting in verse 1, it says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Does it sound familiar? And you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourself any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. Sound familiar so far? He's going over, again, the Ten Commandments. We're going to jump down to verse 11. You shall not steal. You you shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Verse 13. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. Verse 14. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Verse 16, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Does that sound familiar? It's what Paul's quoting in Galatians. I am the Lord. Now, Paul isn't the first person in the New Testament to quote this. If you'll remember, Jesus uh, at first was, uh, was trapped uh, or the, the, the Sadducees attempted to trap Jesus in Matthew 22 with questions about the resurrection. And so Jesus answered all their questions and basically he shut them down. Well, the Pharisees took note of this and they got together and said, we've got to ask better questions than the Sadducees. We don't want to look a fool like, like they did. And so they got a, an expert in the law from among the Pharisees to approach Jesus and ask him this question. Jesus, what's the most important law of God? 
thinking in their minds, we're going to stump him. Because as soon as he says one law is more important than the other, right, he's going to be wrong. And so Jesus responds in Matthew 22, this famous, beautiful response. And he said to them, here's the most important law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Vertical. The first four commandments. And then look and see what he says next. This is the greatest and first commandment. Was Jesus right? Absolutely. You can go back to Genesis 1, and he was right. You can go back to Exodus 20, or even Deuteronomy 5, or Leviticus 19. He was right. This is the first and greatest commandment. If your vertical relationship with the Lord is not intact, in harmony, you've got nothing to bend out towards your fellow man. You can't love well unless you're being loved well. You can't walk in harmony with your fellow man unless you're truly walking in harmony with the holy God of the universe. But then he goes on and he says this. And the second, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying everything in your Old Testament hinges on these two laws. First four ten commandments, vertical. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. What about, this, what about this, the next six commandments? Oh, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. Then you won't murder. Then you will honor. Then you will not covet. Then you will not steal. Then you will not lie. You will not slander if you're truly loving your neighbor as yourself. And so now we go back to Galatians 5 and what Paul is saying to one of us. He starts off the chapter, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Verse 14, he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Who's he quoting right there? He's actually quoting Jesus. And Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Christ has set us free to walk as image bearers once again. What was distorted, severed, broken in the fall, Christ is restoring so what does that mean for us? First and foremost, vertical relationship. Christ has restored our vertical relationship with God. But does it stop there? We're not fulfilling our Genesis 1 created purpose if we stop there. We're to be image bearers, bending God's image out to our fellow man. Christ is also restoring our horizontal relationship that we might walk in community with the God of the universe and to walk in community with his people. If you're taking notes, in Christ, I have been set free to walk in unrestricted harmony with God and his people. Unrestricted harmony. When I first worked through the notes this week, I had the word community in here, which I believe still stands. But I think in our culture today, if we simply just put the word community in there, it's, it's too shallow of a word. Because it also invokes the idea, I belong to a club. I'm a part of a, some type of organization. I'm part of that community. Right, And so if that's all we mean, then that means I can just show up and be in the same place at the same time with another person and we have community. That's not at all what Christ has restored. See, what Christ has restored between you and I is deeper than that. Unrestricted harmony. Unrestricted. Unrestricted harmony. Now, from here, 
um, Paul is going to walk into a, a, um, a more detailed understanding and instruction of what it means to walk in this freedom we have now. So starting in verse 15, Paul writes this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now keep in mind as we read these uh, two verses uh, that what Paul has formerly said at the very beginning is don't return back to slavery. Stand firm in your freedom. And now he's saying, he's explaining how we do this, but I say walk by the Spirit. So this standing in my freedom as a Christ follower then is going to include walking by the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't turn back to those small things. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. It's a very real battle and struggle in the heart of the Christ follower who has the Holy Spirit of God living in him or her, doing their best to tune in and to hear the voice of God and to respond, knowing that when we respond to God's voice in obedience, it leads to life, right? It leads to true joy. Even if in our mind we're thinking, you know what, but I'd rather do it this way. That's the desires of the flesh, what makes sense to us, what seems to bring about the most gratification, what, what seems Right to us, oftentimes, are the desires of the flesh saying, no, 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 don't follow God's way. Follow my way. Follow your way. You're smarter than God. He doesn't know what's best for you. Come my way. And if, if he really wants these things for you, he'll do it our way. In, uh, in Life Group this weekend, we were talking about recalibrating the ears of our heart to hear the voice of God in the midst of a culture where we're hearing the voices of so many small gods, whether it's a media voice, whether it's our own voice, the voice of Satan through other voices. And even though these are small voices, they're oftentimes the loudest voices in our life. If you want to be happy, you need to achieve this, be this, do this, look like this. Is that the voice of God? No. If you want to be happy, walk in vertical aligned relationship with me. The voice of the, the culture is saying, if you want to be a good mom, your house needs to be clean all the time. Don't you dare let a visitor walk in and find dust or dirt on the floor. You ladies know the pressure. And oh, by the way, all your, your hair needs to be done. Your makeup needs to be done. You need to have on the right outfit according to the season. And don't you dare wear, what is it, white past Labor Day. You know, all the pressure, all these vo little voices, Right? But they change the way we live, and they become big voices to us. But there's the voice of one inside of the Christ follower, the Holy Spirit of God, saying, you don't have to do those things to be accepted. You don't. You don't have to do those things to be somebody. You're already somebody. You're my daughter, and you can't be any better than that. And there's this inward struggle, this inward battle going on. And Paul says it here, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirits are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. So here's the thing. It helps us recognize the difference. We're going to talk about recognizing the difference in just a minute, but we know this. The voice of my flesh will always be in opposition to the voice of, what, of God. That's one way I can learn to recognize the difference. The end of verse 17 to keep you from doing the things you want. A very hard phrase to interpret, 
Um, we don't know if Paul is saying uh, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do in your flesh, so, so the Spirit's there struggling with you to keep you from doing those things, or if now in Christ, and this is what I think actually Paul is getting at here, there's a new want in my life. I now desire holiness. I now desire to do what's right. That's what I, I want, but there's this struggle with the flesh trying to keep me from doing what I now want to do. I didn't used to want to do that, but now I do. In whichever way Paul meant it, there's an opposition, there's a struggle going on. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Walking with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit of God is how we stand and walk in freedom. I was uh, talking with my oldest son, who's a believer, he's seven, and he was asking me, he really wants to move to be closer to his cousin, and his motive is he likes to play. And I was trying to explain to him, just wanting to play with your cousin isn't the right motive to like sell our house pack up our stuff and move. You'll be happy for a while, but then you'll miss all your other friends. And, and he just had all these arguments. So ultimately, I just said, right now, son, this is not what God wants for us. Well, how do we know? Because God hasn't said for us to move. Well, how do we know when God says it? How do you hear God? What a great question. This very topic was at hand. And so I, I tried to just shoot from the hip and explain you know, the difference between listening to our own voice versus the voice of God in our life. And I said, you know those moments where um, you're in a situation and you're tempted to do the wrong thing. He gave me a few examples and let me know he knew what I was talking about. And I said, but you also know that even though it seems fun for the moment, there's another voice inside of you calling you to, to do the right thing. He said, yeah, Dad. I said, that's the Holy Spirit. And we have to learn to recognize his voice in our lives. And I talked to him about, you know, reading God's word is a great way to learn how to recognize when God speaks. Right? We just read quotes from God here so that we might, in our own personal lives, when we're discerning, is that my voice? Is that the voice of Satan? Is that the voice of culture? Or is that the voice of God? I might recognize the difference. But Paul runs into a beautiful, um, if you will, litmus test for us in discerning the difference between the voice of God versus the voices of small gods, other gods, idols. So here's where he goes next. Verse 19, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. So he's explaining to us how we can begin to hear the works of the flesh, recognize the works of the flesh in our own lives. They're evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So how does that help us, help inform us of which voice we're listening to? Because very seldom does a voice come to us and say, oh, by the way, I'm envy. I want to talk to you for a minute, right? Yet envy very oftentimes is a motive. I really feel like we need to buy a new car. Well, why do we need to buy a new car? And then we get all the list of the reasons, the things that are wrong with our current car. Oftentimes, envy could be the motive there, right? I'm not saying it always is, but it could be. Jealousy, envy. Well, here's what we know. The Holy Spirit of God never calls you to have an affair. And you say, yeah, that's, that's, that should be obvious. Yet, within the church, we hear sometimes, but God really wants me to be happy as a preface to justifying walking out on a marriage. 
If I stay here, I'm miserable. God doesn't want me to be miserable. So I feel like God's telling me, giving me permission to walk out. Is that the voice of the Holy Spirit? Not according to what Paul just said. The Holy Spirit of God never leads you to have an affair. The Holy Spirit never leads you to be unfaithful or to lie. The Holy Spirit never leads you to be divisive. The Holy Spirit never leads you to act out in fits of anger. Paul gives us this list for a reason, that we might begin to weigh the motives of our heart and really ask ourselves, what is driving this motive? That'll help me know whose voice I'm listening to. Because there will be opposition between, right? Our own voice, our own flesh, our own desires, and what God is saying. But the flip side of that is he goes now into a list of things that help us recognize the voice of God. Look at what he says next. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Some of you could recite this with me, couldn't you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no wall. Now, I love how Paul phrases this. The fruit is singular. This isn't a list of things we pick and choose from. Today, I feel like being joyful. Tomorrow, I might work on self-control. These are the indicatives of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So that means that the voice of the Holy Spirit will always lead us to these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so likewise, just like when it comes to the voices that we hear inside of our head that come from our own desires, the voices of our enemy who is lying to us day and night, the voices of our culture telling us, if you want to be somebody, if you want to be worth anything, you got to do these things, we can recognize those voices. We can see motives, right? Envy, jealousy, division, strife. We can also recognize the voice of the Holy God speaking in us and to us by these things, The Holy Spirit leads us to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You ever hear a voice inside your head saying, be patient? It's not your flesh. It's the voice of God speaking. You ever hear a voice inside your head saying, I know they made you angry. And I know in your flesh you feel like you are justified in retaliating against them with your words or your actions or your lack thereof. But I'm calling you to love instead. There's the voice of the Holy God speaking to you, calling you to walk in freedom. And those, verse 24, who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's talk for a minute about submission. If you're taking notes, walking in freedom means facing my struggles in submission to the Holy Spirit of God. Submission isn't a super popular word. It doesn't, in our culture, tend to have a positive Uh, connotation along with it. We hear submissive, we think negative. Um, Yet submissive has an equally positive uh, meaning, okay? And so uh, in this particular um, conversation, as we think about the things that pull us and draw us to react, respond, talk, do, not do, not talk, all these motives going on, 
And we get to a place where we're discerning, you know what, I know what the Holy Spirit's saying to me right now, and I know what my flesh wants to do. Either way you go is submission. Either way. You're either submitting to your own desires, or you're submitting to the desires of God. Don't lie to yourself for one second and think, I don't want to submit to anybody. Because what the Word of God is saying is you are ultimately always submitting. You're submitting either the desires of your own flesh. And so just to illustrate this, I oftentimes talk about how our hunger pains can draw us to the side of the road and through a fast food line. In that moment, it wasn't on your radar, it wasn't your plan, but the desires of the flesh kicked in and said, hey, come on, let's go grab a cheeseburger. Right? And so in a very simple way, we submitted to the desires of the flesh. Now that then applies to the bigger things in life too. You're not happy right now. You'll be so much happier uh, if you just had a new friend. You know that, that lady who's across the office over there? She's so friendly. You always feel so good when she talks to you. Is that the Holy Spirit of God? Not if you're a male who's married. God's not calling you to go find friendship and companionship in another female outside of your marriage. He's just not. He doesn't do that. He doesn't work against himself. The Holy Spirit of God says to you, find your satisfaction first in me and those relationships I've already provided for you. Yeah, but my marriage is like not fun. God says, well, come on, let's make it fun. It's gonna be hard work, but let's go make it fun together. God doesn't desire for me to live in misery. That's right. He desires for you to live in joy. A joy that is the fruit of walking in obedience. Not a joy that's to be had by just reacting to every situation however you want. It's a true joy that comes at the end of the day when your head hits the pillow and you think back through your day and you remember, you recount those moments where you submitted to the Holy Spirit instead of yourself. And there's joy to be had in that. Here's where Paul ends in verse 25 and 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. I love this wording by Paul. It's the, I went back through Galatians this week, the whole letter, to look for references like this. I found four references where Paul talks about walking with, running with, walking in step with. And I'm just going to give you those examples. All the way back to chapter 2, he uses a word. Um, and the way he, he um, writes it, it means to walk a straight line in consistency. It's the idea of walking in a cadence or a rhythm, like a military march. Regardless of what comes, regardless of what comes at you, you stay consistent, you continue walking at a, at a, at a steady pace, at a steady, consistent rhythm. And that references to the gospel, that we walk in rhythm with the truths of the gospel. In chapter 5, where we're at now, three different references. In, in verse 7, he uses a word that, that uh, interprets running a race. So this, running, this walking with Christ, walking in freedom is a lot like running a race. There's a steadiness to it. There's a pace to it. There's a focus to it. And, and a not taking your eyes off the prize to it. In verse 16, we just read this, to walk by the Spirit, which literally he used the word this time just to walk. Walk according to, by the Spirit. So if, there's, if, if you're standing in a room of darkness and there's a light lighting up this pathway and you know that's your own desires and there's a light this way and you know it's the desires of God, you're walking according to the path he's lighting up for you, step by step. And then in verse 25, again, this idea of walking in step with or in rhythm with the Holy Spirit. There is a consistent 
rhythm to walking as a Christian. Walking in step with the Spirit means being consistently led by the Spirit. It means getting to that crossroads of decision and submitting to the Holy Spirit. It's with the Holy Spirit I'm discerning. It's what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. And there's a rhythm to it. Now, there's a difference between, I believe, walking in rhythm and walking in perfection. Let's talk about the difference. If you're taking notes, walking in freedom means walking in rhythm with the truth of the gospel. That was chapter 2. And the leadership of the Holy Spirit, chapter 5. Walking in freedom means walking in rhythm with both of these things. The truths of the gospel and the Holy Spirit's prompting in my life. Will those two things ever oppose one another? No. Never. So there's a difference between walking in rhythm and walking in perfection. Here's what walking in rhythm looks like. You learn to recognize the lies of the enemy. It's a process. Do you, do you conquer it all in one time? No. How does, it, how does the process work? When we look back at Adam and Eve's example first, you learn to recognize the voice of the enemy. Right? Buy into a lie, you start thinking about, I need to do something, I need to be something, and then you go, oh, wait a second, that's familiar. That sounds familiar. That's, I think that's the voice of the enemy. How do I know? I need to check it. How can I check it? Well, let's start with fruit of the Spirit. Are the motives in line with the fruit of the Spirit? Is that consistent with what I know is true about the gospel? Does it line up with God's word and what God says about me and himself? And you begin to check it, and then you recognize the lie. Jesus did this in his own temptation in the desert, didn't he? The voice of Satan was tempting him, and what did he check it against? The truth of God's word. He said, nope, you're wrong, that's a lie. God doesn't lie. So anything that's in opposition to him is a lie. Walking in rhythm with the truth of the gospel and the Holy Spirit means this, we begin to recognize the desires of our own flesh. And then we begin to respond by submitting to the desires of the Holy Spirit. We were talking in life group about the um, discipline of fasting. And I know it's a very rare uh, spiritual discipline in our current church age. And part of that's probably due to lack of emphasis and education on what, it, what is fasting and what is it for. And we were just talking about it in our life group and, and, and talked about the heart of what fasting is. Some people fast to hear an answer. Some people fast just to be close to God. Regardless of what the, those secondary motives are, the primary motive of fasting is a, is a motive of recalibrating. Saying no to the voices, the loud voices in our life that in reality are small gods. And so we were talking about fasting from different things from food. Can you do that? And, and, I, and I, I responded, I think you can. I said this, but to get to the heart the pinnacle of what fasting is, it's to say no to the loudest voices in our life that aren't God. And for you and I, it's the voice of our stomach, right? I mean, we can say no to technology and we're gonna be fine. My wife and I, two years ago, went without smartphones for a full year and we made it, we made it, barely. Oh, we were sweating, we were tired, we made it. You see, we can say no to Facebook for you know, 20, 30 days and that can be helpful. Right? Can help us tune into the voice of God. Rather than checking Facebook, we go to his word. Absolutely. But there is no voice louder, right, than the voice of our stomach, where on day two, your voice is saying, Let's go get a cheeseburger. And you say, No, I'm not going to listen to you today. But you're going to die. No, I'm not. It's a lie. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to, I'm going to be grumpy. I'm going to press through that grumpiness with patience and gentleness, but I'm not going to die. 
And that whole purpose of fasting is getting to a place where you begin to tune out the small voices of the world, even though they're loud, that you might recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. Whether it's for a specific thing you're asking to hear or just in general, that's what fasting does for us. This final thing, walking in rhythm, helps me recognize where my flesh tempts me not to love my neighbor as myself. It came up several times, didn't it? How do I know if I'm breaking the law of God? Well, if I'm not loving my neighbor as myself, I'm breaking one of those last six commandments on some level, maybe all of them, right? The Holy Spirit of God leads us to walk in the freedom of this beautiful vertical relationship, to walk in step and rhythm with him, right? So the Spirit of God never says, hey, don't spend time in, in the Bible. It's gonna be boring today anyway. We'll catch up tomorrow. Holy Spirit of God never says that. The Holy Spirit of God always says, come on, let's spend time together. Open the word. Read about me. I got some things to say to you today. The Holy Spirit of God never says, don't pray. I've got it figured out anyway, don't pray. No, the Holy Spirit of God says, come walk in communion with me. I already know your request before you share them, but I want to hear it anyway. Come talk with me. Come share with me what your burdens are. Let me hear it from you. Right? The Holy Spirit of God never says to you, don't fast. That's, that's for the super spiritual. I mean, you got to be in seminary to fast. Don't, don't fast. The Holy Spirit of God leads us to what? To say no to our flesh. Here's some questions of reflection as we wrap up today. Going back to the beginning of the sermon and taking into account the last two, I wonder if in some of our hearts, if God isn't revealing to us areas in our lives where we're prone to return to slavery. You've been set free from finding your value in the way you look, ladies. Are you tempted and prone to go back to that? Men, you've been set free from finding your value and purpose in whatever your job is or whatever position you hold within that job. It's not what the world tells you, but that's what God has told you. He set you free from finding your value and your purpose in that. Are you prone to go back to that, to find your value? To re- and you feel like, ah, oh, I just feel like such a loser. Oh, but I've still got this career path. I'm still, God's saying, don't return to those things. They make lousy gods, lousy gods. Stand in your freedom. Think about your vertical relationship with your heavenly father. Do you feel like you're walking in unrestricted harmony with God right now? Unrestricted harmony. When he speaks, you hear. When you hear, you obey. When you obey, you find joy. Or are you in that cloud of confusion and I can't quite hear and I don't know if it's God speaking or me. I'm not quite sure. How about your fellow man? Are you walking in unrestricted harmony with the people in your life? Rather than just agreeing to disagree, walking with unspoken enmity, anger, strife, just waiting any moment to bull up? How about your marriages? Would you describe your marriage today as unrestricted harmony? That's what it means to walk in freedom. In what areas of your life do you 
find yourself struggling to submit to, Holy, to the Holy Spirit's prompting. Do you feel like you're able to discern the difference? Maybe for you right now, what you need is a more committed and consistent time in the word, hearing the voice of God. Um, one of the most powerful things that I think you can do is to be alone with God and read his word out loud. As awkward as that may be, even praying out loud is, is, is fantastic. But um, one of my favorite pastors, John Piper, was leading a panel of discussion um, on the audible voice of God. And he said, absolutely, you wanna hear the audible voice of God? Read his word out loud. It's audible. Reading the word of God out loud. And as you're hearing yourself say it, hear God saying it. Do you feel like you're walking in rhythm with the truth of the gospel? Maybe you'll ask it this way. What truth of the gospel are you struggling to believe? Maybe the reason you don't have harmony with God is you feel like right now he's just barely letting me on the team. He, like he's still embarrassed. He still has me in quiet time in the kingdom. I'm still over here in the you know, isolation room in the kingdom. I'm in the kingdom, but I'm in like less than mode. If you feel that way, you're not believing the gospel. The gospel says, no, you're in. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're in. You're a son, you're a daughter of the Most High God. That's what's true. But God, I don't feel that way. When I say I don't feel that way, what am I saying? I'm struggling to believe the gospel. Maybe some of you are in that place right now. I've, I've, I've been saved, I've even been baptized, I've publicly committed my life to Christ, and, and yet there are days where I still feel like he's embarrassed to have me around. There are no stepchildren in God's kingdom. The problem is a failure to believe the gospel. Let's end here. I'm going to pray for you and ask our prayer partners to come down and be available. Um, these are men and women with black lanyards on that say prayer partner, and what a fantastic way to respond to the message today, um, to come be with a brother or sister and ask them to pray with you or over you in a particular area. Um, so I'm going to ask them to be at the front and the back. Um, if you just want to come be alone with God at the front and kneel and pray, you can do that. Our prayer uh, rooms will be open as well. If you just want to go um, grab a prayer partner or be by yourself in one of those, feel free. It's first come, first serve. Um, there's almost always one open. Um, you just want to stay seated, spend some time reflecting on God's word this morning, feel free. And uh, the rest, if you want to stand and sing, we'll do that as well. Let me pray over us, and then we'll respond.